0: The Rangers are back on the ice at their training facility as their playoff schedule against Carolina is now set. We chat with the post Molly Walker about the team's return to the ice. We also talk with the post Larry Brooks about what he has seen all week from Rangers camp in Tarrytown. Molly and I then interview the coach that led the Rangers to their 1994 Stanley Cup title, friend of the podcast, Mike Keenan. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post.
1: Gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome to Up in the Blue Seats Podcast, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Give us that five-star rating. Write in a nice positive review if you are using Apple Podcasts. We got a busy show today. Molly Walker from the Post is going to join us in the bit. Larry Brooks is going to join us after he was at training camp at the Rangers facility. and 1994, Stanley Cup winning head coach for the Rangers, Mike Keenan, now friend of the program, will also join Ron later in the show. But speaking of Ron, here he is, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Dugay.
0: Thanks, Jake. Yes, there is a level of excitement right now because hockey's back. Hockey's back on the ice. Players are in training camp. Rangers are in camp. Our friend Brooksy is there reporting. We'll talk to him later. And because we understand the importance of coaching, we love Coach Quinn, I want to get some feedback from the last coach who won the Stanley Cup with the New York Rangers, and that's Coach Iron Mike Keenan. I'm going to want to ask him, what's it like during these circumstances of things being different? What's it like to be a coach? And the coaching staff. How do you prepare the players within a short period of time? All these questions are going to come up. And yes, of course, the schedule is set. August 1st, Saturday, the Rangers play. Then they play again on Monday at noon. And then they play on Tuesday. For those three games, we're going to know what happens after that as they play Carolina. Let's get into the show and let's talk Ranger hockey.
1: Yeah, Ron, the schedule is set. Game 1, noon. Like you said, game 2 is noon. And game 3, 8 p.m., game 4 and 5, no time set yet. But Ron, you know, August 5th, podcast day, will be reactions to games 1 through 3. July 29th will be the playoff preview show against the Hurricanes. Next week will be a normal show. And our buddy Molly Walker, whose mom, got to say hello to you face-to-face before we started this recording of the show. And she went to the pool after that, and she will have you on her mind for the rest of the day, I'm sure. Uh, She got a free cameo. You know, you could book Ron on Cameo, shameless plug. But she got her free version of a cameo, getting to say hello to you. And that was a thrill for her. But Molly Walker of The Post, you can follow her on Twitter, Molly Walker 2 and two R's. Molly is with us with her mic testing ASMR as some people use to fall asleep. I still don't get it but they do and she's with us now and Molly was at Islanders camp Monday and the Islanders Molly are of significance and Ron because they will play the Rangers in an exhibition game on the night we released that preview show July 29th and you know tell us about the camp experience and temperatures being taken and all that.
2: Yes thank you so much for having me on again debuting my brand new mic courtesy of the New York post shout out thank you and yes thanks for ron to ron to making my mom's day as usual so As far as training camp, um, it was so great to be back in the rink. Obviously, just, just smelling the crisp air of the ice was exhilarating, honestly. Uh, but lots of different protocols, obviously, not the usual training camp is in recent years. I had to have my temperature taken upon entrance, and I had to fill out a whole form that said I hadn't had any symptoms or contact with anybody that could possibly have the coronavirus before I entered. And then we all media members had to sit very very far apart and everybody had to wear a mask the whole time. But you know what? Hockey was going on on the ice. So it was a okay in my book.
0: So Molly, uh, we're going to talk to Larry later on as he's back in the dressing room around the players. I'm going to ask him about his feeling and what he's seeing with the players. What did you see with the Islanders? Cause the Ranger fans want to know, or the hockey fans want to know generally what's going on with the mm-hmm. Islanders. As far as what you're seeing is there a level of excitement as they're in the playoffs as the Rangers are.
2: Definitely. I think every team that's getting on the ice right now has such a rejuvenated excitement about the about the game in general, and that's definitely going on over there in the Islanders. They have just as much excitement as I imagine the Rangers do. Um, not much has been going on. It's only been the first three days, so they're taking it easy. I know today they just had their first scrimmage, I believe. Just taking things day at a time, you know, making sure that no one's getting injured or pushing themselves too hard through the first three days but they're excited to be there you could tell the smiles they're very loud on the ice and even during availability you could tell just there's just a rejuvenated feeling across the entire league so I think it's going to be very exciting especially for that exhibition game you know just getting both teams on the ice unfortunately we won't be able to see Sorokin versus Shesturkin just yet Sorokin did sign um, on Monday so he can't play unfortunately as per the NHL and NHLPA's agreement but he will be with the team soon practicing and he is probably going to accompany the team to Toronto as well even though he can't play so they're trying to integrate him into. To the culture here, obviously, as soon as humanly possible to get a, a leg up on the Rangers and chest jerking for the 2021 season.
1: I'm curious, did guys look rusty? Did it look like they've been away that first day? It's like, you know, the first day at camp, they put the sign with your name on it. My name is Jake. And did guys look like they, you know, didn't belong there or were they up to speed?
2: You know, I wouldn't say didn't belong there. Uh, there were a couple of call-ups from Bridgeport. So obviously those players stood out a little bit more just because they weren't in NHL shape to begin with. Um, but there were a lot of conditioning drills that went on to start the first day of camp. And, and players looked a little winded, but that's natural, especially with a lot of players not having any access to ice whatsoever um, over the quarantine. So but otherwise, uh, everybody, everybody looked great and just happy to be there in general. But I wouldn't say out of place or, or out of shape. So the Rangers have some conditioning to do, too.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you, Molly. Thanks for the update. And uh, we're going to move on into the show
2: you.
0: Joining us now after attending Rangers practice all week at their training facility is Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer from the New York Post Larry Brooks follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy read all of his blue shirts coverage in the post and at nypost.com Larry welcome to the show thanks for taking the time I know you are busy right now I would love to know because I'm a little bit jealous that you're actually at training camp watching the guys back on the ice you've done three days now what's it been like for you from day one to day three, the experience of actually going back under these unusual circumstances?
3: It's abnormal, but at the rink, though I'm, you know, standing behind the glass wearing a mask, um, there are spots demarked for the reporters so that we're socially distanced. And obviously, we're not allowed to interact with the players. All communication is being done by Zoom calls. But in the rink, there is an air of normalcy. It was it was actually kind of refreshing to get in my car and drive, you know, drive up the sawmill and turn off into the rink and walk through. There's a temperature check and a symptoms check for the uh, journalists as we check in. Then we're we're brought to the press room and then we're escorted into the rink. But you know, so so there's you know there's a bit of an adjustment. Hardly onerous. Not very difficult to wear a mask for an hour. You know, it's 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 hardly the great inconvenience it's hardly an assault on our freedoms but when you're watching when you're watching them Skate. It's like any other day. Uh, honestly, it is. Uh, so, from that sense, that degree of normalcy is is very welcome. It's it's been uh, it's been an oasis in in what's been a desert of the last four months.
0: So, what were your thoughts when right out of the gate, Coach Quinn said, "Look, it. I want everyone to understand. This is not training camp. This is getting ready. We got two weeks. We got to get ready. We got to get focused to play into the Stanley Cup." What were your impressions of that statement from Coach Quinn?
3: I thought it was appropriate. I thought it was on Mark, and I and I thought that listening to Mika Zibanejad first talk about uh, the reason for the team. To be there was to win the whole thing. That you know, they're not there just to be there. They're not there for a participation trophy. They're there to win the Stanley Cup. And then Henrik Lundqvist talked about the fact that he doesn't think there should be any limits for what the team expects from itself. So I, I think that's the message, and I think it's been communicated well within the organization. I think it's been communicated well by the organization that this is serious business. You know, this is just not a lark. Um, they're here to compete, and they've got. two Two weeks to ramp up and get ready for a playoff series.
0: If you were to go back three months ago, let's say the Rangers were two points out and they fought hard to get in that position. They make the playoffs, and the playoffs would have started in April. So my question to you now: three months have gone by. That team that would have gone into the playoffs then, compared to now, do you think this team now, because it's so young, this team is would be in a bet is a better place now to compete in the playoffs? Where if they would have started in April with their inexperience?
3: Good question. Uh, I'll I'll have to. I'll have to put that one in my pocket and (laughs) and ask one of them. I'm not sure because had they made the playoffs, they would have gone in with a surge of momentum. You know, it, it. They still had an uphill climb to get there. They had. They had lost four out of seven, two, four, and one in their last seven. So they, they had lost some ground in, in their last three, four, five days. And they were, it, it, was, it was going to be a difficult task for them to make it. They might have been able to do it. So and, and, But if they did, they would have gone in on an upswing a real surge. Now, you know, they're flatfoot, just like everybody else. And it's it's kind of an impossible question to answer because we're trying to gauge how every player has come back from this physically and emotionally. And, and not only on the Rangers, we have no idea about any team You know, really, it's the great unknown. I think that the time off maybe helped a couple of the younger guys. I think maybe Capo Cacco may have caught his breath. Um, I think some of the guys who aren't used to playing, you know, the kind of minutes they had, like Adam Fox, even. Adam Fox. Had yeah, time off may have been beneficial. I'm not sure anyone would have recommended four months off. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if playoff experience is going to be as big, big a factor as it normally is. We don't know how teams are going to react to playing in front of new fans. And so it's a really good question, but I think like so many others, the only answers will come after August 1st from Toronto. So, you know, we'll see. I also think actually a benefit to them, clearly, you know, Chris Kreider was was injured at the break. We have no idea whether he would have been able to come back after he had talked yesterday uh, about the condition of his foot back in March. So he's healthy. And remember, too, that Igor Shostakhin had been hurt, too. He had just come back from the... uh, uh, automobile accident that he and and Buknevich were in, in in Brooklyn, and so his game I don't think was quite at the top when we le- when we uh, left him. And uh, I'll tell you what I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but the Rangers had a scrimmage today, and Shosturkin was lights out. I mean, he was terrific. So. You know, I I think there are some positives. I think there are some negatives. And, and, you know, we'll just drop the puck on August 1st. And then when it's all over, we'll be able able to uh, look smart in retrospect.
0: I guess I was asking you that question because I know it's only been three days. I'm probably going to ask you this again next week. Because you know what it's like when you see a young person and you don't see him for two or three months and they come back and like, oh, my God, he's different. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's got to hop in his step. He's talking different, right? And so I thought maybe you might have seen a little something in the three days of these younger players on the ice but we're going to ask this we're going to look at it again next week so that's why i was kind of thinking that way when you think of coaching there's a lot on their plate right now for coach quinn To do what he has to do is get this team ready like you would for Olympic type of tournament, right? Coaches have three weeks, put the players together and let's go at it. So have you seen anything different in the coaching staff as far as uh, something in their, the way they're speaking to the players or their intensity, anything different with coach? Quinn, right now,
3: not that's been uh, visible on the ice. Um, I think that coaching, coaching is going to become more important because of the point you just made. They will have had months actually to prepare for Carolina in a playoff series. It's all about matchups, and now this coaching staff and Carolina's coaching staff and and the sixteen coaching staffs around the league that are preparing for this qualifying round. They have had you know weeks and weeks to do video scouting to hone in on their team, to hone in on the matchups. And so I think that the coaching and preparation is going to be extremely significant. Now, I'm not sure what's, what's again, I'm not sure how he is approaching it behind closed doors. So far, the three days, I, I think it's been more of an acclimation period. You know, get get the guys on, try and get everybody onto the same level because people who were in Sweden were able to skate basically throughout the pause, uh, guys in different states were allowed to skate different times Uh, some guys were not allowed to to skate at all uh, until the last couple of weeks when uh, phase two opened here so i i I think what it looks to me on the ice at least that he's kept it very very simple for these first few days they had a good scrimmage today was it was it was ragged there was no question about that but the pace was pretty good and i think that's what he's looking for here this first week i think it'll begin to ramp up i think a little bit over the weekend they're taking tomorrow off they'll come back on friday and then I think that we might begin to see a, a little bit more of game-specific kinds of drills. But the first few days, it's it's been about going out. Just, I think, guys becoming comfortable again with each other and being comfortable with what they're doing on the ice.
0: One player that always looks comfortable, and that's Panarin. And uh, this week, uh, he's a finalist in the 10 Lindsay Award. And so, I guess, no surprise to you and to a lot of us. Um, I guess my question to you, what are your thoughts on why you think he had a? a Such a good year. And and I guess my question is, did the coaching make a difference where having coach Tortorella, things were probably, he probably didn't feel like he can... Be himself under that system. Where with Coach Quinn, Panarin can be more instinctive, more just having fun, and it brought the best out of him with a different type of coaching, different system.
3: Panarin really never references playing for Tortorella, and and he played. You know, he had good years for for, for Columbus, and he was a big time player in Columbus. Uh, I don't know that that was a factor. I think that Panarin's personality. And Panarin's confidence and Panarin's sense of himself, I think, are the attributes that allowed him to flourish in New York, playing in the first year of a contract that's worth over eleven and a half million dollars a year. So, I think I, I think that Panarin has the kind of approach that allows him to slough off pressure. And I think he came to the rink every day and was himself. And I think uh, the Rangers allowed him to be himself. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that Columbus didn't. Obviously, he flourished in Chicago with the Blackhawks. So it's his talent. But I I think it's his personality that allowed him to thrive in the spotlight that has scalded an awful lot of players. It, It is not easy to come to New York under a massive contract. You, you know, you're judged all the time. You're you're inspected all the time. People want to knock you off the pedestal. And Artemi Panarin didn't give anybody the opportunity to do that. <laughs> he was a great player and an especially popular teammate and uh, has, has uh, I think, has uh, is, on, is on a pedestal in the National Hockey League now for a very good reason.
0: Well, thank you, Larry. We're going to leave it at that. So you um, continue having your fun at training camp, and this time next week we'll talk again.
3: Sounds good, Ronnie.
0: My guest today coached over 1,300 games in the National Hockey League, winning in his first season the Jack Adams Award in 84 85 then 10 years later winning the stanley cup with the new york rangers welcome coach iron mike keenan so you were part of our first show back in new york and um i know things have changed life has changed since then i i think you like doing podcasts so much that you decided to do your own and i guess it's called iron mike podcast so tell us about i know you only did the one show tell us about your podcast
4: Yeah, we actually uh, did 10. Scotty Morrison is a Hall of Fame writer. He and I hooked up in conjunction at the time with the Hockey News who approached us. We were well uh, versed in terms of uh, interviewing some of my former players, mostly my former players, or taking subjects that uh, were controversial, like goaltending and and, uh, how we handle goaltenders. So it was interesting. We'll resume the podcast once uh, the Hockey which is, I think, going to be soon. So what's the update on you writing a
0: book, your memoir?
4: Yeah, Jay Greenberg, another Hall of Fame writer who the folks in New York are familiar with, he and I hooked up, and, and uh, it was interesting. Back in 1984, uh, as you indicated that i was coaching in philadelphia my first year and i said to jay who i respected as a writer i said if i ever do a book you're going to do it so here we are from 1984 to the to 2020 starting uh the composition or the writing of 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 a book and it's going to take another probably another 10 months going to be quite expensive uh filled with knowledge of, of uh, my background and relationships with people that nobody's heard before. So it should be interesting. And I think it will read well because of Jay's skill.
0: So right now we're at a time where we're having to protect ourselves, protect our health. I don't know how much you've talked about this, but you've had a small battle with cancer. And I guess the cat is out of the bag with that. What is the update on your health right now, Mike?
4: Yeah, I don't mind uh, discussing that. I think it's a good thing to to put in the open for young men. 15 or older to to have a PSA test. It's a simple test. And I've been, as you know, Ron, we would have uh, training camp physicals every year. And I started that way back in the early 90s. To go in with the players and get a physical and blood test and so on. And then in 2018, uh, there was discovery that my PSA had spiked a little. I caught it early. I had a procedure called brachytherapy as opposed to radiation or surgery. I'd done it at a Toronto Sunnybrook Hospital that is world renowned for this procedure and has done the most procedures in the world as a hospital. So very fortunate and uh, it was a timely. Uh, situation just returning from China totally healthy in the follow-up examination since then and touch wood uh, I continue to stay very healthy and I'm very fit right now with this with this virus and pandemic I've been as you know and you do as well I've been riding my bike one or two hours a day so I continue to work on my fitness, and I think it's important.
0: Well, that's good to hear, Mike. Um, so this past month, again, every year that goes by, the Ranger family likes to celebrate the Stanley Cup winning of 94, uh, which you were coach. In your book, I'm I'm curious to know, do you talk about the month after winning the Stanley Cup, what that was like for you? Because you go from winning the Stanley Cup, celebrating, but then you're in the process of possibly not going back to New York for another season to, to, to repeat you end up going to St. Louis so what was your month of celebration what was that like after winning the Stanley Cup
4: well I really didn't celebrate uh, extensively because I don't know if you would remember or the fans would remember there was a change of ownership and Paramount owned the team Stanley Jaffe was in charge then Viacom came in Sumner Redstone owned the team and in March they dismissed uh, Stanley Jaffe, and I thought at that time, even this is in March, that I'm probably not going to last here because uh, there was a conflict in terms of those who wanted me hired and those that didn't. Stanley was a huge supporter, Bob Gakuski was a huge supporter. It turned out that Neil Smith, particularly, Uh, went along with their uh, instructions, but it didn't uh, turn out well for me after they at least Stanley was fired, and then the process began to escalate as soon as the Stanley Cup. We won the Stanley Cup, so uh, I knew that uh, unfortunately, and I I really wanted to come back because I thought we had a chance to repeat. We had a great mature team. Mess wasn't that old. You know, we had young superstars and leech and zuboff and goaltending and the whole lineup was prepared to come back and win but unfortunately it didn't and the celebration was short-lived for me actually
1: mike jake brown here and before i hand it off to molly walker who's with us for the interview too. question from twitter on that front you kind of addressed it from at gunny tommy left is i wonder if he didn't quit the chances of repeat champions did you think if you stayed another year that uh the rangers would win again in 95
4: well, you never know, but we'd certainly have been uh, a favorite. We would have been in the in in the mix to win. I, I don't know if fans would remember that the previous year uh, the Rangers never made the playoffs. So we did a lot of retooling and and brought in excellent players. And we had a, a very strong team concept. Uh, there was no deviation from any player about what the mission was and what their role was. And that's so important to a championship ingredient. I, I honestly did think that we could have repeated or at least it would be a favorite to repeat. Uh, you have to stay healthy and things have to go your way. But that would have been certainly our, our mission again is was to to repeat as champions.
2: Mike, fast forwarding a little bit, after you finished your coaching career in the NHL, you went to coach in the Continental Hockey League. I'm just curious, what drew you to the KHL as opposed to other leagues? (laughs)
4: <laughs> that's a great question because that was the only league that, that was interested in me a great hockey environment russia is, is very embraced in, in the game of hockey uh their president putin loves hockey and and they started this league that after a fallen country it was a great way to unite the, their nation and to have all the cities have have hockey teams and they're all tele all games are televised and it's such a vast country in terms of time zones that games have come on at Nunar and Vladivostok, which is on the Sea of Japan. And at the time, there were nine countries, and in, in the farthest uh, west was uh, Croatia, uh, along with Czech Republic, so in Slovakia. So they, they had a, a wide variety of opportunity to, to broadcast hockey. And to play that national anthem every two and a half hours, uh, I think, was part of the rationale. But yes, I went there. Uh, coached on a, a different ice level, the olympic size ice level, which requires a, a different strategy and a different preparation as a coach and coaches to, to prepare your team. And then, of course, uh, I, for the older folks, they'd know Dr. Schwagel. Uh, that's where I was in, in the Ural Mountains. and heartland russia Nobody could speak english so i had to learn to speak enough russian to communicate with the community and also at the same time uh improve my skills to improve uh, to communicate with the team so that turned out pretty well i had great support from assistant coaches uh, mike polino came from canada with me who had played for, for me and coached with me and actually was an assistant coach as well with the rangers and Ilya varoviev A young coach whose father was legendary in Russia, played in Russia, was born Russian and played also in Germany. So we had a great staff and and we were able to accomplish something that no other North Americans have been able to do since and that was to win the championship in the KHL.
0: Mike, that leads me to my next question. As a head coach in NHL, when you started in 84 to the end of your career, how important was you having a good assistant coach to help? complete you or did you feel like you wanted to take and have full control of everything assistant coach wasn't so much important to you or was it very important to you
4: Actually, it was very important to me. Even uh, when I started in Philadelphia, we had a really exceptional coaching staff. And E.J. McGuire, God bless his soul, uh, Ted Sater. We had an approach that was unconventional. Pat Croce was the strength and conditioning coach. Bernie Perrant, we brought in veteran experienced goaltending coach. Billy Barber was a skills development coach. We had a video coach of Mike Finiciero. So we had uh, a team of coaches. And Mr. Snyder, who owned the team, had a football background. And he thought it was important that the hockey industry capture or take on the same type of approach you have a head coach and a a number of very important assistant coaches that round out your skill set as a group and then your ability to communicate with the players so we are ahead of our time and from that point on but I even in junior hockey and and, uh, coaching university and and American League hockey various levels I coached I always relied a great deal on on my assistant coaches and because their skill set their knowledge their their ability to communicate with players and and the players actually were well educated as a result of it
1: Mike a couple of years after that while you're coaching the Flyers we got another question from Twitter at the mind artist is please ask him how the 86 upset loss to the Rangers when he was Flyers coach affected his coaching style going forward
4: well, that was a really interesting year. I don't know if the Ranger fans would recall, but that's the tragic the death of Pelly Lindbergh, our All Star Goaltender, Vesna Trophy Goaltender. That was a real difficult process. I was a very young coach at the time. I think I was 34 when I started, and now I'm 35. And to lead a team through a death was very excruciating. Although we had a overall pretty good year. The previous year, we set a record with 52 wins. We had 113 points in that particular year. My second year, we had 110 points, but we didn't. Probably have the energy left. We didn't have a superstar goaltender. Bob Froze was our goalie, but Pelly Lindbergh was at an elite level. But our team was a little bit drained emotionally, mentally, physically from that tragic event that happened early in the season. We carried out as well as we could, but. Uh, the question is, how do you change? And and I think the thing that I can express is that when I started coaching for a living in 1979, I really started coaching as a high school teacher in 1974. You learn to adapt and and that's how you can continue to, to be a coach in several generations. I coached in five different generations, five different decades. It's your ability to adapt, to adapt as a teacher, as a leader, as a coach, and, and surround yourself with good, solid uh, people to assist you. That particular year, if people will recall, we, we, we really outplayed them, but John Van Biesmerke was on fire even in the final game. I mean, we just couldn't get it by them. They had a good, good, solid strategy. Ted Sater was the coach, so he had a lot of knowledge about our team because he was our assistant coach the previous year. So a lot of circumstances went into play in that particular year.
0: Mike, I want to move forward into today. For you, when you talk about uh, the importance of your assisting coaches, the game right now is very analytical, and the coaches are using analytics a lot. How do you think you would have adapted to that, or do you think analytics would, would have been playing a part in how you think and how you teach and coach versus just what you saw with your eye, what you knew about people?
4: Well, that's a really interesting question because, Ron, I went a few years to Montreal. Uh, I was invited by an analytic company. To their offices, it was a very interesting process. I went through a series of tests with them, and they wanted to search out my hockey uh, IQ or how I I thought and what analytics does. It's a it's a tool that substantiated many of the things that I thought, and at the same time, I think it has to be viewed as just another tool. As I said, we were ahead of our time in Philadelphia. We had time and ice. We we developed our own computer program. For the uh, out of the University of British Columbia, even before the NHL had time on ice, and, and we had a, a, a log book of everything we did every day, and at the end of the season it was about a half a foot thick. So mm-hmm. that, that portion of it today, yes, there's and it's it's integrated with computer systems and video systems is a, a really great tool. But I think if you look at the, the best coaches in any sport, particularly in hockey, we go back to Bowman and Arbor and, and uh, many others. It, it, it's your ability to read people and to read the situation, be instinctive, and bench management's really, really critical because, as you know, as a former player, you're not 100% spot on every night, and the coach that can identify those that are seemingly more on top of the game in one night versus another, particularly when you're playing 82 games, uh, that's critical. So, I think the adaptation continues and, and, you know, we did quite a bit of that actually in Russia uh, as a tool. We used it. You just keep evolving, but ultimately I, I think the co- best coaches are the ones that, that have a ho- high hockey IQ and instinct for people and, and, and the situations. They can read what's going on instantly. I could, at the same time, you know, I, I asked the, the, the team at one time, how many minutes are there in a the game? And somebody always yells, 60 minutes. Well, there's actually 720 when you have six players on the ice. Teams. Uh, I had the skill to know exactly almost to a minute what everybody, what every player played for both teams at the end of the game. So you have to be very conscious of who, who's playing for the other team, your home ice advantage or, or on the road, whatever the circumstances might be.
2: Keeping with the current times, Mike, I saw in an interview a few months ago you were very skeptical of the idea of the NHL holding games without fans and in hub cities. Now that everything has been agreed upon and it looks like this modified Playoff tournament is going to happen. What are your views on it now?
4: Well, I think that, and I asked Ron earlier before this interview that he played for Canada Cup, and this is a tournament now this is different and I coached in two Canada Cups and the preparation time is short like this and there's a lot of things to be covered in a very short period of time. The X factor is that and and we love the support of the New York Ranger fans and every team loves their fans. Without that emotional impact in the building itself it's going to be interesting to see what kind of emotional response that players can get, get from themselves and their teammates because that's what they're going to have to rely on. But the preparation time is like a tournament, like Canada Cup, uh, Olympics, you've got to get your system in order very quickly, and you have to get your preparation uh, done early. And then you have to be ready to play. And there's no hesitation in terms of, well, we've got 82 games. We're going to have our ups and downs. There is no ups and downs. You're in the heat of the battle in the playoffs. It's a must win. And if you don't, you're out. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch these coaches and to see how they can adapt to that type of situation, that tournament play.
2: And what do you think is the toughest thing NHL coaches are facing in this upcoming restart?
4: Well, the thing for me is, is uh, again, preparing their team without any fans. They're going to have all the systems down, That maybe physiologically uh, they won't be as, as sharp as they'd like to be because it's a very short time. It depends on how industrious the players were away from the arena to keep themselves in super condition. I, don't, I hope that they did. I don't know if they did. And uh, that's going to be very challenging for the coaches to, to bring it to the table every night and, and instantly have their team razor sharp and ready to play because that's what it's going to take and it's a great opportunity to win the stanley cup in a tournament style of play
1: last one uh mike from twitter uh from nyc the mike has any nhl team in recent years aggressively tried to hire you and if so have you given any potential offer any thought
4: well that's uh, again the last individual that was uh, aggressive and, and did a full interview with me was george mcfee when he was the general manager of the Washington Capitals. Uh, and then I went up, wandered off to Russia for three years and China for two. I don't give it much thought because I don't think people are even considering me at this point. They think uh, I'm probably too far removed or too old. I certainly have great health now and lots of energy. Ronnie can attest to that because we hang out together from time to time but uh, and have fun. So. <laughs> Uh, I don't really think about it
0: well Mike I I can attest to the fire in your belly I know it's still there and uh, you would probably jump all over an opportunity because like you said a lot of it has to do with the team around you the coaching staff your players and because you're I would believe that you would be in a calmer place now than you were let's say 10 years ago I would believe that and uh, I, I, I would you would be so much fun to see back in action. When I think of you, I also think of John Tortorella, the fire that he has. Do people make comparisons between you and John Tortorella with his coaching style?
4: Yeah, they actually do. And when John was coaching New York, I can recall we did a TV show together and and a lot of our approaches and or philosophies uh, are the same. I think what people have to understand is your philosophy can be the same and your approach can have principles that that are very important to you, but the methodology has to be adjusted to the the people you're working with, in particular the players. But John, yeah, he's got a lot of fire in him. And uh, I think he's been somewhat aligned with the Keenan approach, but he's doing a good job and having success in columbus so good for him and i think he did a good job in new york as well
0: you're not watching all the games but you're paying attention to the rangers having won the stanley cup there this is a young team that has come on strong towards the end of the season They were two points out uh they were awarded with being part of the 2014 tournament so they're in the tournament and they're coached by coach quinn who i think has done a good job having said that what do you think when you think about this team, what do you think their chances are because of the format and the situation? What do you think their chances are moving forward and actually being dangerous in the playoffs?
4: Well, anyone can be da- dangerous at this point if they're prepared well, and uh, I think that they will be. And the, the youth is not always a disadvantage. When I coached Philadelphia my first year, it was the youngest team in pro sports we weren't supposed to make the playoffs. We end up winning the President's trophy and playing against the juggernaut and editing for the Stanley Cup. So stated earlier, their preparation has to be focused they they can't be distracted the coach is going to have to be firm but fair but really firm with them because there's no deviation from what the mission has to be at this point you don't have time if you lose your out he can take that a lot of youthful energy though and and, and boost it up and be be ready and i think that the, in a short tournament like this anything is possible at least they've got an opportunity they should take full advantage of it the
0: big conversation is who starts a net with what you know with goaltending they have two young goaltenders that played well this past season then they have Lunquist, who's had a good career a big reason why the rangers have been successful in the last 10 years is because of Lunquist. not really watching training camp if you see Lunquist at the top of his game and the other kids still playing well do you go with the experienced goaltender or do you go with shesterkin who finished really well as a young goaltender
4: well, that's a great evaluation. As you know, I've had, I had seven dozen trophy winners, and then Mike Richter winning the Stanley Cup for us in New York. I would watch training camp very acutely, very closely. I, I would give the veteran an opportunity, uh, and it's not going to be a long one. You get the job done or you don't. I've seen him in action on and what he can do, and maybe he'll be inspired knowing at very brief period of time he doesn't have to labor through a lot of games. He just has to be ready to play his game, and if he does, and he gets give him the opportunity, then super. And if he doesn't, you've got some great talented uh, people in the wings waiting and anxious for an opportunity as well.
1: Mike, last one before we let you go. One just came in at Twitter that is actually interesting that I would love to hear your answer on um, as you were just speaking uh, at Hope Diaz last. He said, on the ice after Game 7 and winning the Cup, Messier said the day before Mike had given the greatest speech he ever heard and seized the moment. uh, I'd never heard anyone uh, what he said that day, only what reference. Can you recall that speech before Game 7 that you said?
4: Yes, I can. The essence of it was that uh, I wanted to, and it was quite lengthy actually, uh, but I wanted to diffuse the, the pressure and the tension and the expectation that the city had on the team. And to, uh, the brief synopsis of it was if. If anyone had told you at the beginning of the season that you'd be playing for the Stanley Cup in a one-game elimination, would you take it? And they said, absolutely. I said, well, you've earned that right. Let's be ready to take advantage of that advantage. And certainly they were ready. Well,
0: Mike, we're going to end it with that. We appreciate your time and uh, good health. And hopefully you and I will see each other again in New York or elsewhere because we do have fun together. I love your spirit. You're a good man. Ranger fans love you. So all the best to you, Mike. Thanks for having
4: me, Ronnie. In regards to to all the Ranger fans, I mean, stay healthy, stay safe. It's a crazy time, but we'll get through it with good teamwork and uh, respect for each other. So thank you again for having me. I enjoyed it.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention center ice for a special presentation that's a wrap for episode 33 of up in the blue seats thanks to jake brown for producing the show subscribe to the show on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get podcasts please give us a five-star rating on apple and write in a positive review we really appreciate it follow me on twitter and instagram at ron dugate 10 thanks for joining us folks talk to you all next week stay safe